Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. A few weeks ago, we looked at signs of spiritual health from a verse in Acts 2. Uh, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. And today I want to talk about the importance of devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, uh, to the word of God. And I want to start today with a question. If you were stranded on a desert island and you could have only one book with you, what would it be? There are 39 million books in the Library of Congress alone. I mean, we have lots of books in this world. What would you choose? Someone asked G.K. Chesterton, a well-educated man, one of the most influential Christian writers and authors of the last century. Someone asked him this same question. If you were stranded on a desert island and you could have only one book, what would, you, what would it be? This was his response. A Thomas Guide to Practical Shipbuilding. <laughs> That's what he said. Because when you're stranded on an island, you want a book that will help you get home. You want to be saved. You don't want a book that will entertain you. Uh, you don't want a self-help book that, in, that can improve your emotional health. You want a book that will show you how to be saved. And here's the truth about you and me. We were trapped on an island of sin and death. And God's word, the Bible, tells us how to get home. The writers of scripture tell us that God is alive and that God is real and that God cares and that God is good and that he can know us and we can know him and that our lives can be transformed. The Bible exists so that you can be spiritually transformed. So today, what I want to do, first of all, is look at how the early church was transformed by the word of God. And then I want us to see in a very practical way how we can be transformed by the word of God. Uh, Now, there are other reasons to study the Bible, and they're very important. But I believe the primary purpose of the Bible is to bring about spiritual transformation. Those who are much wiser than I am uh, about this whole spiritual formation thing know the Bible was not written for our information. It was written for our transformation. So we're going to look at how the Bible was central to the early church, and then we'll look at how it has become central to the spiritual transformation of your life and mine. All right, I want to look at several passages in the book of Acts today. And the first one is Acts 2.16. At this point in Acts, uh, Pentecost has occurred. The Holy Spirit has descended on the disciples, and Peter is now explaining what has happened to those who were gathered. And because some of the people think that these men who are speaking in different languages are drunk, this is what Peter says to them. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. 
Peter says, no, these men are not drunk. This is what was spoken about through the prophet Joel. And then Peter kind of recites a passage of scripture that he had memorized. Uh, Now, why do I bring this up? Uh, Peter was so immersed in the scriptures that at this moment, his understanding of what was happening was shaped by his understanding of scripture. Uh, He didn't know when Pentecost was going to happen. It was a surprise to him. And so he wasn't able to spend a lot of time studying to prepare what to say. All he had in that moment was his understanding of scripture. And that's what shaped his understanding of this event. He didn't allow people to convince him that what he was witnessing was something other than the work of God. Because he had the reality of God's kingdom in his heart and in his mind, it affected his perception of what was happening in front of him. And here's something that I was thinking about this week. I have never known a person in my life who has been spiritually transformed outside of immersing themselves in the scriptures. Never. In the book of Acts, Luke tells us that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted. That word devotion comes from a word that means a binding promise or a pledge. The Acts 2 church were people of commitment. Uh, They had bound themselves to God's word. This is very different in our society. In our society, people have a very low commitment level. If it meets my needs, then I'll continue. If it doesn't meet my needs, then I move on. This word devotion at its core has to do with enduring or sticking to something, even when it would be easier not to. That's the way devotion works. And it's a very powerful force. It's very powerful. And it's necessary if you want to be spiritually transformed. Let me explain why. And I'll put this in a form of a question. Have you ever felt tired or busy and didn't feel like attending a church service? But you did it anyway, and you had an experience where you were listening to a sermon and you sensed that God was speaking directly to you from his word? My guess is there's not a person listening right now who hasn't at one time or another had that experience when the Bible was opened and all of a sudden it was God speaking. And it's such a mystery. I don't know why it happens or how it happens, but it happens. And it's happened for a lot of centuries. And if it didn't happen, I probably be I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Okay, now let me say this. Spiritual growth will always require effort. That's just part of the spiritual life. There will always be times in life when being devoted to the word of God will be more difficult than not being devoted to the word of God, when it would be easier for us to not be devoted. Being devoted to the word of God is not easy, but it's good, it's meaningful, and it's God's will for you and for me. This is a major part of why we have a church service online like this. Uh, Something happens when the scriptures are opened and we devote ourselves to the ministry of the word of God. God moves in mysterious ways when his word is being taught. I want you to see a passage in Acts that kind of highlights the importance of the word of God. It's Acts 6, starting at verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. 
All right, so there are some conflicts over how to care for everyone in the community. Some needs are being overlooked, and it's very important to figure this out. Look at verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So we see here how very important the ministry of the word is. Uh, Now, providing care for the needy was absolutely essential. This passage doesn't minimize that at all. And yet the disciples recognized that their calling and their gifting revolved around the teaching of the word. And that was so important that even caring for the poor, which was a ministry after God's own heart, could not be allowed to detract them from the ministry of the word. They recognized that the other ministries of the church would just collapse if people were not being formed and fed from the word of God. I want you to see another passage in Acts. It's Acts 8, uh, where we read about Philip on the road to Gaza, where he meets up with a government official from Ethiopia who's reading the scriptures. So Acts 8, 27. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in the charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch, the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. This man meets God in the scriptures. Scripture is not just a place where we read about God. Scripture is a place where we encounter the living God. I had a woman tell me about her encounter with God. Uh, she wasn't really involved in the church and didn't really have an interest in God. And she was successful in business, so money wasn't an issue for her. Uh, she had a stable family and friends that loved her, but she still had this longing for something more in her life. And a friend told her that she should read the Bible. So she had never read the Bible before. So that night she couldn't sleep. And at about midnight, she got up and went downstairs to read the Bible. She saw that it was divided up into two parts, the old part and the new part. She had no idea what that meant. She figured the new part is probably better because the old part might be outdated or something. And so she started with Matthew at midnight. She read straight through. And at three o'clock in the morning, she got to the middle of the Gospel of John and she fell in love with Jesus. She had no one else there with her. No one was talking her into anything. At three o'clock in the morning, her only background, having been reading about Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, she talked to God for the first time in her life, and she said, I don't know what it is that I'm doing, 
but I know you are what I want. And she met Jesus. It's in the Bible that we encounter the living God. God is, of course, active everywhere at all times and all places, but he is present in a special and unique way in the scriptures. Maybe you've had the same experience of encountering the living God in the pages of the Bible as you've read it or listened to it being taught, or you haven't. You might struggle with the idea that in this collection of books is truth about God and life in this world. People from ancient cultures wrote these books, and their views of how the world operates could very well seem foreign to you. As you read the Bible, you bump into stories and details that are hard to understand, hard to believe, weird, even offensive, and there's a tension you feel. I want to encourage you. It's healthy to ask questions, to wrestle with doubts you may have, but understand that some tensions will only be resolved over time, and some maybe never in this lifetime. The goal isn't to immediately understand everything you read in the Bible. Instead, the goal is to connect in a personal way with God. We learn a lot about God from the Bible, but we can't know everything about him immediately, just like relationships with people. We learn over time and through a connection in a growing relationship with him. Let's rejoin Matt and look at some ways this happens. Now, what I want to do in the rest of our time together is walk through how we can use the Bible to be transformed, how we can begin to read the Bible, not just for our information, but for our transformation. And the first thing I'd like to talk about is very basic. The first thing that must be done if we are to be transformed is I must place myself under the authority of the Bible. We must place ourselves under the authority of the Bible. Now, in our society, people typically look to celebrities for their authority. I mean, they look at magazines or talk shows. Now, the presumption is that any person who is famous is an authority on how to live. We turn to celebrities for guidance on stress or relationships, for time management, personal happiness, and we give authority to uh, therapists or to uh, media or to corporate success stories or political parties or even religious leaders. But you know, that's not to be the case in the church. In the church, the Bible is to be our authority for faith and life. We are to live under the authority of the word of God. The starting point is to say, I will submit my life and my will to the teaching of the Bible. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul says this, all scripture is, and he uses that word God-breathed. All scripture comes from God. All scripture is inspired by God. The scripture receives life from God. They come alive because of God. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, why do we do this? What's the purpose? What's the primary purpose of scripture? Paul writes, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says, we are to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, every moment of your life can be an opportunity to do good. 
He's not saying periodically, three or four times a week, you'll get an opportunity to do, do a good thing. That's not what good works means. It means your life will just flow out with goodness. If the Bible does its job in you, your mind will be so transformed, you'll be so filled with thoughts and feelings of truth and love and joy and humility that your life will become one interrupted series of acts of grace and moral beauty. And every moment will be a chance for you to live life in the kingdom of God. It's not how much we know. It's that goodness is flowing out of our lives. We just do good. Now, to get a contrast on this, to see how the scriptures can be misused, I want to show you another passage of scripture. In this passage, Jesus is speaking to people who knew the scriptures. They knew them backward and forwards. They could intimidate anyone in their society with their knowledge of scripture. Look what he says in John 5, 38. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. In other words, you think that knowing a lot about scripture is proof of your spiritual maturity. You think that studying the scripture is enough. Knowledge can sometimes be a dangerous thing. Think back through the history of your life, especially when you were in school. Uh, did you know someone who was always right, or at least they thought they were always right? They got 100% on test all the time, always raised their hand uh, with the answer to every question, always had the best report card. Did you know a person like that? Do you remember enjoying hanging around with that kind of person? Often there is an assumption in churches that knowledge is the tool for spiritual growth. Therefore, if you want to produce godlier people, just kind of cram them full of exegetical information. But in general, the problem is not that we lack information. And in fact, if that becomes the focus, people get proud. They end up going the other direction. Jesus said in John 5.38, God's word does not dwell in you. Does that mean that they don't know the Bible? That they lack information? No, they have lots of information. When Jesus says that God's word does not dwell in you, he's not saying they lack information about the Bible. He's saying that their mind and heart have failed to become transformed so that they think the kinds of thoughts that God thinks. It's not how much we know. The primary purpose of scripture is so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All right, so that's point number one. We must place ourselves under the authority of the Bible. The second point is, we must wash our minds with the word. In Ephesians 5, Paul gives a very important picture of the ministry of the word. He talks about the need for husbands to love their wives, but notice how he describes this love. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Christ loved the church, that is you and me, and he wants to make us holy, cleansing us and washing us with water through the word. We are to be washed by the word. Real simple question, why do you wash something? 
Like, why do you clean something? Hopefully you said because it's dirty. I mean, the soap and the water move through the fibers of the dirty fabric and they lift out the impurities. They separate the impurities from the fabric. And this is the picture Paul is using that's worth reflecting on. When we come to God, sometimes our minds and our hearts are dirty. They're cluttered with false beliefs, with wrong attitudes, with impure feelings and unhealthy motives. You know, I decided one time to go through a day and just try to be very aware of where my mind goes in certain situations throughout the day. So I was walking down the street and I saw a homeless man and he was asking for money. And the first thought that went through my mind was, I don't wanna make eye contact with them. Because if I do, I'll feel guilty or I'll be expected to give him something and I don't wanna do that either. So I, I'm just gonna look the other way. I'm just gonna act as if I don't see him. I went to a store and there was a long line and there was a man behind the counter who couldn't speak English very well. The first thought that went through my mind was, I'm busy, I have a lot of stuff to do. Why couldn't they hire someone who could make the line go faster? Now, I didn't ask for those thoughts. They were just the first thoughts that came to, me, to, to my mind. I'm with an important person and the first thing that comes to my mind is, and again, I'm hardly even aware of these kinds of thoughts, I think to myself, I'd like to say something impressive to this person so that he remembers me. I open the Bible and I'm reading from scripture and I have an insight. And my next thought is, you know, I have a meeting later with a group of people from church. I can tell them about this insight that God has given me and maybe they'll be impressed by what God is telling me. Those are just a few thoughts that go through my mind and I have much darker thoughts that I would not feel comfortable talking about. Our minds equip us for every bad work. Now imagine having a mind that is cleansed of all that, all that garbage that just kind of weighs us down. Imagine when you see someone, even a difficult someone, that your first thought is to bless them and encourage them. Imagine if you find that you've got a challenge or a problem, your first thought is to actually turn to God for guidance and strength. Imagine what it would be like to look at any person of a different race and to see them as a brother or sister. If you're a guy, imagine what it would be like to look at any woman who is not your wife and to look at her if she were your sister. Wouldn't you like to have a mind that works like that? That's what it would be like to have a mind that is being washed by the word of God. That's what the scripture is to do in us and to us. That's the ministry of the word of God. Now, it's important to know the Bible. It's important to study so that we're biblically literate. Uh, those are important things. But the primary thing that we are to do is to be transformed by the word of God. So let me give you a couple practical things about how to do this. First thing, read with a readiness to obey God. Don't read the Bible merely to find information to be able to prove a point. Before you read it, resolve that you're going to be obedient to what God teaches you. And then to be washed by the word, don't try to read a lot of scripture in one sitting. The goal is not to get through the Bible. The goal is to get the Bible through you. So don't try to read too much. Another thing, take one thought or word or phrase and just live with that deeply. Reflect on it for the day. 
or maybe for a few days, or maybe for a week. Psalm 1 talks about how the one who meditates on God's word is the one who will be blessed. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. This psalm is talking about the the practice of meditating on scripture. And he says it's like a tree. You're the tree. I'm the tree. We're like the tree that's planted by streams of water. Do you know what the water is? It's God's word. We're to meditate on God's word. We're just to live in God's word. As I live in the word of God, as I meditate, as I wash my mind in the word, what happens? I bear fruit. I do good works. I find myself being more loving and I'm filled with joy and I speak truth. Not because I'm trying harder to do these things, but because I'm planted by streams of water. My mind is getting washed. The psalmist says, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. Now, the people who wrote those words were not these like spiritual giants that we could never become like. They just meditated long enough that they realized how good it is to immerse themselves in God's word. And you can do this. And you'll begin to experience life in the word. Now, when this happens, this is when we uh, will be prepared by scripture for every good work. This is when we will uh, be transformed. We sometimes speak about applying the Bible. We say that we want to apply the Bible, and that's a good thing. But what I'm talking about goes so much deeper than that. Applying something is to take one isolated behavior, you know, try to be more patient or try to give more money or something, and that's okay. But this is allowing the word of God to to dwell in you and begin to change the way you look at things and how you understand things and what you desire and, of course, how you live. And really, this is what it means to be fed by the Word of God. You know, when I was a pastor at a seeker-driven church, a church where the focus of the Sunday morning message was primarily uh, directed to people who are exploring faith, haven't really made a decision to follow Jesus yet, there was this common complaint that people made in that church. I'm sure you've never heard this or said it yourself. The complaint was, I'm just not being fed. This is a metaphor that's very important in the Bible, but it's very often misused in our day. People tend to think of being fed as getting a bunch of information and they get proud about how much information they've got. It's not about getting more information. And if we're not clear on that, then we're gonna lose clarity on what the ministry of the word is And when we have been fed by the word of God and when we have not been fed, it's not about a bunch of information. Information is important, but it's not just about knowledge. Let me close with this. Uh, Think of food and nutrition and health and think about America. Uh, We're the most fed nation in the world. Uh, 68% of the population in America is overweight. While people in most of the world die from a lack of nutrition and starvation, in America, we die from overeating. We die from heart disease and strokes and diabetes and things like that. We don't need more food. We need to exercise and we need to eat right and we need to be healthy. 
And the same is true with the word of God. For some of us, we don't need to be fed more information. We don't simply need to consume more knowledge about the word of God. The need is that we immerse ourselves in enough of the word of God that we can actually live with it and be transformed by it. And we should exercise. I mean, the word should nourish us so that we're able to go out and exercise our faith. If we just feed and feed and feed and obtain a bunch of knowledge and don't exercise, we're going to kill our spiritual lives. We really will. So let's immerse ourselves in enough of the word of God that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work so that we're transformed spiritually and so that goodness just flows from our lives. All right, let me pray for you and then Michaela will lead us in a closing song. God, thank you for your word and the power of your word that when we open it, it's like you are speaking directly to us and you speak to us about areas of our lives that you want us to change, how you want us to be transformed. So help us, God, to open your word on a regular basis and to find truth there that will shape us so that we can be more like you want us to be, so that we can be like the tree that's planted by streams of living water, so we can gain nourishment from you to go out and live the kind of lives that you want us to live. Help us to value that and to see it as important so that we actually spend time in your word on a regular basis. And God, we just thank you again. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for the power of your word and how it shapes us. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.